In Him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your own salvation, you had believed in Him, you were marked with the seal and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I've always been a front row kind of person. And I wish it was because I cared so much about the things I see and hear and learn. That's not why I'm a front row person. I'm a front row person because I know if I'm in the back row, like my ladies in the back, I'm not going to pay attention. I need to sit in the front row. Otherwise, my mind wanders. So when I was in college, I sat in the front row of every class I took, particularly my religious studies classes. In my college, we learned about Hinduism and Buddhism and Judaism and Islam and Christianity. I sat in the front row so I could write down dutifully all my notes and tuck them away in my mind so I could use them in the future. And I was in a class on Hinduism at JMU with Dr. Swishal Mittal. Dr. Mittal is a practicing Hindu man. He teaches all the Hinduism classes at JMU. And we were getting near the end of the semester. And I remember sitting in the front row and he was lecturing to us about his own personal faith. How his faith had helped him through some dark times. What it meant to him and his family. And I heard behind me someone raising their hand. And I could hear that this person was raising their hand because they kept shaking it like this. You know, as if that would get his attention more than just having it up there. And finally, Dr. Mattal said, yes, what is your question? And when he addressed the person, I looked over my shoulder and I saw this young woman who was wearing a sweater with big, bold letters that said, Campus Crusade for Christ. She said, Dr. Mattal, I have a question. If you know that you're going to burn forever in hell for being a Hindu, why not just accept Jesus Christ? Why not come join the rest of us in heaven when you die? Dr. Mattal, if you know that you're going to burn in hell forever for being a Hindu, why don't just accept Jesus Christ? Come be with us in heaven. I was sitting in the front row. I could see his fist (laughs) clenching up. And he pointed right at her. And he said, I'm so sick and tired of you young Christians telling me what I have to believe. Get out of my class and never come back. And so she packed up her things. She walked out of the room. Uh, The disciple Thomas, often worried about what Jesus was really trying to say, said to the Lord one time, Lord, where is it exactly that you're going? And Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus does not know the way. He does not know the truth. He does not know life. He, in fact, is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he's not just a way. He is the way. He is the unique and visible manifestation of God on earth. From the beginning of the church, this statement, no one comes to the Father except through the Son, it has been of paramount importance for Christianity. If you want to know God, you desire salvation, if you want to experience grace, you can only find it in Jesus. We've been saying this for 2,000 years. That's why we're so insistent on this evangelistic push to make sure that we're baptizing all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The tradition of the church is one that staunchly affirms that salvation only comes through Jesus. 
Put it another way. Outside the church, there is no salvation. If you want to experience the pardoning forgiveness of the Lord, if you want to be taught the ways of the faith, if you want to engage in acts of kindness and mercy, you have to go to church. I can remember sitting in that lecture room. I can remember sitting there watching his fists clenched up. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable and wondering about why this girl said what she said. I thought maybe she was doing it just because she wanted to frustrate him or she wanted to get some sort of reaction out of him. But the longer I've thought about it, the more I've read the Bible, I've wondered if she was maybe being genuine. What if she was just actually concerned about his salvation? Because it does say, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he has set forth in Christ a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in my sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, there are a lot of anecdotes out there about famous people that are so good that it doesn't really matter if they're true or not. You think about George Washington and the cherry tree? I cannot tell a lie. It was I who cut down the cherry tree. I mean, did George Washington really do that? Did he really confess? It doesn't matter. The story is good whether or not it actually happened. And there's lots of stories like that. We, we call them apocryphal. We don't know whether or not they're real. But they're good. They point at something. They're kind of like parables. We don't know if they're real or not, but they point at something that's true in the world. Now, there are a lot of stories about a guy named Karl Barth. Karl Barth's my favorite theologian. He was a Swiss Reformed theologian in the 20th century. He actively spoke against the rise of Adolf Hitler in Germany. Incredibly powerful theologian. I have a whole shelf in my office dedicated to his work, and there's all kinds of stories about him. Like the time a student in the middle of a lecture said, Professor Barth, I've read everything you've ever written. To which Bart replied, son, not even I've read everything I've written. <laughs> like, did that happen? I don't know. Does it matter? It's still funny. It's still good. So whether it's true or not, people used to push Karl Barth about his tendency to leaning toward what we call universalism. This idea that in the end, God saves all regardless of religious affiliation. In his work, his sermons, his theology, he dances around this all the time. That all have been and all will be saved through Jesus Christ. But never does Bart ever say, I'm a universalist. This is what I believe. He points at it, but he never claims it. And the story goes that a young student was pushing Bart and wanting to know if he was really a universalist. Do you really believe that everyone, everyone is going to get saved? And Bart replied, I don't know if I'm a universalist, but let me put it this way. I won't be disappointed if heaven is crowded. I like that. I won't be disappointed if heaven is crowded. The question of universalism, it's remarkably relevant today, perhaps today more than ever, with the great range of faiths in the world, discipleships 
in the world. This last year alone saw numerous publications in favor of universalism against universalism, with the world becoming more and more diverse with every passing day, with different understandings of Christianity popping up all over the world. We're left with the question, when we say Christ died for all, how big is that all? You might think about what Deirdre read for us today, that Christ desires to gather up all things in heaven and all things on earth. We might think about how humankind was created in the image of God, not Methodists were created in the image of God, not Christians, but all people have been made in the image of God. We might even think about how throughout Christ's life, he goes to all people, to the last, the least, the lost, the little, the dead. He goes to those on the margins. He doesn't show up and say, I'd like to see your religion card, please. I'd like to see how many times you went to worship this week, please. He says, I have come to set you free. If we believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, then God's mercy and God's salvation really knows no bounds. God's power is so magnificent and unconditional that it extends not only to those who are here, but even those who aren't here. The lens by which we view the world is the work of Christ, someone who came for all people, the beginning and end of all things, whose ones are, are out, arms are outstretched even on the cross for the whole world, then we have to start thinking in bigger scopes. When Bart answered this young man about a crowded heaven, he didn't actually answer his question, but he pointed at a hope, a hope made manifest in Christ. I mean, who among us wouldn't hope for heaven to be crowded? According to his good pleasure, Jesus desires to gather up all things in him. All things. And when God says all, God means it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished upon us. Would you pray with me one more time? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. When I was in school, when I was in seminary, I had to work for a year at Duke University Hospital. I was one of their on-call chaplains. If you're a chaplain at the hospital, you have to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and you're not allowed to leave the property until 8 o'clock the next morning. You have to be on the premises of the hospital for 24 hours. You have to go to rooms and pray for people if that's what they need. You have to go hold hands with people if they're worried, if they're afraid, if they're weak. We're alone, and I had a pager on my belt that I had to be present for every single death that occurred in the hospital. More people die at Duke University Hospital than any hospital on the East Coast. If I were there for 24 hours, I could be present for 30 deaths. It's where people go when they have nowhere else to go. So I would go and I would do my shift and I'd try to be present for people as much as possible. And there was one night that was the worst shift. I had just held hands with a woman who got a final diagnosis that things were not going to get better. I had met with a family who were worrying about what it was going to look like to have to bury their father, not knowing what the next day would bring. I had to go be with a set of parents 
who just lost their baby right after it was born, and I was just devastated. And because I didn't know what to do with it, I went to the chapel. The hospital has this chapel, it's very small, it's about this big, and inside you can find some chairs and some uh, old religious texts and some hymnals, there's a tiny little piano in the corner. 99% of the time I went to the chapel, it was completely empty. No one ever went. But we had on the altar this ruled notebook, and it said, write your prayers in here. And here was, if you were in the hospital, you could go and write down a prayer, and the chaplain at some point would come and pray over those prayers and lift them up to God. And so every once in a while, I'd go to the chapel, I'd pray over those prayers, but this particular night, I went to the chapel because I wanted to get away from the rest of the hospital. It was just too much death. Too much suffering. Too much sadness. Sometimes when I went into the chapel, I wasn't the only person there. So I'd walk in and go pray with the prayers, and there would be a man in the corner. And he'd be lying prostrate on the ground. And he'd be praying. He was a doctor. He was Muslim. Sometimes during his shifts, he had to go and pray. And he didn't feel comfortable doing it anywhere else in the hospital, so he went to the chapel. And we saw each other a couple times over the year I worked there, and we always sort of politely nod, but we didn't want to get in each other's religious business. So he got his corner of the chapel, and I got my corner of the chapel. But on that particular night, when everything felt like it was falling apart, I went up to the altar, and I looked down at the spiral notebook, and he was in the corner, and we were both praying, just barely above a whisper so we wouldn't disrupt each other. And while I was trying really hard to pray, I heard him stand up. And he walked across the chapel to me, and he put his arm around me. He said, hey, this time, let's do it together. And we didn't make a plan. I didn't say, I'm going to pray for the things on the left page. You pray for the things on the right page. We didn't talk about our theological differences. We didn't talk about Muhammad. We didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about any of that stuff. You know what we did? We prayed. That's it. And then at the end, he hugged me. I never saw him again. The rise of religions, the rise of interactions with the religions across the world, it presents one of the most confounding challenges for the church today. And not just the rise of religion, but the rise of atheism, the rise of so-called nuns, people who have no religious affiliation. It leaves the church in this place where we have to talk about what we believe with people who don't believe. We have to talk about what we believe with people who don't believe what we believe. We have to talk about what we believe with people who don't believe anything. It's really, really challenging. Now, a lot of people want to know, Who's going to go to heaven? What happens to people of other faiths when they die? And the answer really is, we don't know. I could point out so many different verses in the Bible. Verses that say no one comes to the Father except through the Son. I can also point you to a whole bunch of verses that say that all shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. I can show these completely different opinions within the Scripture about who gets there in the end. But only God knows. I think for us today, particularly as Christians, our concern shouldn't be how crowded is heaven going to be when we die, but what are we doing with our life right now? Because there's this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. His name's Jesus. And he says, in some of his final words, love one another. Not love Christians. Not love Methodists. Not love white people. Not love rich. It's love one another. Everybody, that's a totally encompassing thing. And it's the hardest thing Christians have to do. To love one another. It means loving people who don't believe what we believe. 
It means loving people who don't believe anything. It means loving people who are sitting in pews with you this morning. There is nothing harder in this world than loving one another. But Jesus never said it would be easy. And that's what got him killed. I was a little not so subtle about removing my stole, about taking my little tab collar out. Because in the end, we all come, before we're just singing, before the judgment throne, every one of us. And we don't come as Methodists. We don't come as clergy or lay people. We don't even come as Christians. We come as God's creation. Every one of us. And until that day, the only thing we're called to do is love. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. This I offer to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you've gathered us here with our questions, our doubts, our fears, our disbelief, our unbelief. And you said, it's okay. It's okay to be who you are. Because I will always be your God and you will always be my people. We come before your throne, O oh Lord, wondering about other people, wondering about other faiths. And you take all of our concerns and all of our questions and you reply with one word. Love. So give us ears to hear that word today, O oh Lord, to see that the greatest thing of all is love. That that is our mission here, now, and forever. Amen. Amen.